Hi everyone, welcome to the Build Your Book podcast. This is your host, Aaron Bear and Neville Tank. Every week, we bring to you stories about the legal profession to help lawyers build a better book of business, a better practice, and a better life. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Book podcast. And today it's just Double and I. Uh, we figured it was time for the two of us to get back to having a conversation ourselves. And we're going to be back having some amazing guests on the show next week. So today I want to talk to you, Double, about some of your experiences working with lawyers. You know, you've been working with lawyers for years, but I know you've been doing a lot lately and having some really interesting conversations with people. And I'm curious to hear more about what's working and also what's not working. And by not working, I really mean, you know, what are some of the challenges you're hearing and seeing that lawyers are having and maybe some of the roadblocks that are holding them back? So so maybe you have some stories to share about some recent uh, people you've been working with and maybe what you see as things that aren't going as well, but not because, again, of you, but because maybe lawyer mentalities or things like that are getting in the way. You use the exact right word, which is mentality. Um, a lot of people come up to me, they're, they're, they set up a conversation with me, they even get into coaching with me, and what they're actually expecting are strategies and tactics on how to do business development. They think I'm going to teach them about, uh, well, here's how you write your email, here's how you do this, and of course, that is an extremely important part of it. You know, it's, it's amazing that lawyers get absolutely no feedback on how to write an email, on how to conduct yourself, on how to have a, a pleasant face when you're talking to someone over video or in person, or any of that stuff. But all of that is almost secondary to the, the most important part, which is mentality. And that's, I'm, I'm glad you use that word. Um, ultimately, why people come to me is because they want to build a different kind of practice. They want to build a different kind of lifestyle. They want to have more control in their life and all of, all of these positive things that they want to associate with their career. And they think that business development alone is going to fix it all. That, you know, if I have more clients, it's all going to happen. But I find myself doing a lot more of the more internal work with these lawyers. I help them actually see that it is possible to have these sorts of things. You know, one of my first activities that I make them do is I ask them for their vision. What is your vision of what you'd like to be, where you'd like to be in the next two years, three years? And they write something down or they really procrastinate with it. They kind of hem and haw. They, um, they think it's kind of woo-woo. It, it doesn't really make any sense. And they just want to get down to the real work. Uh, and the few times that I've made uh, i've skipped that whole process and i've made them do the real work of it uh, they inevitably end up stalling because they don't have the inner drive they don't have the inner motivation a part of them feels like what they're actually trying to achieve is not possible and so the visioning process is so 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 important uh where they need to write down where they need to think where they need to know for sure where it is that they're going because if they don't have a plan of where they're going uh any road will take them there, kind of like a, a, an expression from Alice in Wonderland. But it's not just about figuring out where you're going in terms of, well, you know, I want I want to increase my, my book of business by a million dollars or this lawyer, whatever it might be. It's about a very clear idea of what your lifestyle should be. Because inevitably, what people end up thinking about when they, when they say that, well, I want to double my book of business, uh, internal resistance pops up. Uh, internal resistance tells them that it's going to be hard. It's going to be very difficult. It's going to be extremely draining. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to take time away from their family, from their health, from their sleep. And all of those things are uh, negative things. No one wants these things in their life. And so they they almost sabotage themselves. And if I just focus on the strategies and tactics of business development, 
they'll start doing these things, but they'll block themselves. They will sabotage themselves from following through, or they'll take a step and then procrastinate for two or three months and not do anything. And so it's really important to build in the idea of the right and ideal lifestyle as part of your vision. That is part of your business development strategy. Business development should feel good. It should feel like a part of you achieving that greater vision you have. Um, and this is so important, right? Because lawyers are already so burnt out. Um, every single day, they're used to examining problems. And so when, when this idea of creating a vision, of creating something from scratch comes in, they inevitably end up looking at all the problems of how, of how their life is going to be disrupted, of how difficult it's going to be. And that results in low resilience. Like lawyers have low resilience, let's be honest. Uh, they aren't used to rejection. They're, they're extremely smart and bright and intelligent people. They're heartbreaking. They're driven. Uh, but there's only so much that a person can do. They end up burning out. Um, and business development is in many ways a game of numbers. It's, um, it's a game of getting rejected. And uh, I remember, I think it was last week's episode or two weeks episode, Norm talked about this, right? Norm said that he feels like a failure six times out of seven. And you are getting rejected by a client six times out of seven. And in the seventh meeting is when you get accepted. It's when you're, when you get the client and, and you know, everything starts breaking out. And so you have to have a bit of resilience there. But when you take on a new plan of action for business development, you're going to get a lot more of that rejection, so-called rejection. Um, and so there's this internal resilience you have to build up. There's this internal way of dealing with this, these, these um, negative ideas popping up, that it is going to burn you out, that it's going to be too much work. And so the first no, you, part you, of my work, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, you, you took some of the words right about the, on the resilience piece. I was actually going to, as you were talking, it was, that's exactly what I was thinking about. And, you know, lawyers tend to score absolutely terribly in resilience uh, when they do all these studies. You know, we know lawyers have really high rates of depression, suicide, anxiety, divorce, like all sorts of bad things. There's tons of research on why that is. They think it starts in law school and then I think gets worse or stays bad at least as people continue to practice. But resilience, you know, it's funny because as you said, Dal, you know, lawyers are solving other people's problems. They're, they're resilient in some ways, I think, when working with others. But when it comes to themselves, that's where these bad habits or, or bad traits come in. And, you know, people who have low resilience, they're more thin-skinned, they're more defensive, and they're way more easily wounded by criticism and rejection and setbacks. And as you mentioned, I mean, business development is, you know, going from your normal legal life where you're expected to be perfect and maybe you're really good at what you're doing, maybe not, to suddenly you're out of your comfort zone. And I think a lot of lawyers just try to stay within their comfort zone and not do things differently. So they don't do business development or they only do it in the traditional way. And if you go to a conference and no work comes out of it, it's easy to sit there and say, well, that wasn't my fault. You know, I was just there to learn, you know, whatever. But when you actually are actively trying, you know, to take steps to do something and you don't succeed, well, now you've failed, right? And for low resilience people, I think there's a tendency for lawyers to give up. And it's funny, a quick little story here. Uh, at my old firm, uh, one of our groups of lawyers used to run a lot of webinars. Uh, and I remember saying to our marketing department, you know, like what happens afterwards? All these people are signing up. We're collecting their email addresses with consent. We have their personal information. What do we do with all that data we're getting? Like we know these people are attending. That's already, we've got leads. We, we've got them into our funnel. And the answer was, we actually do nothing with them. We used to do something with them, I think, but the lawyer would reach out and they wouldn't hear back or work didn't come immediately after that first email. 
and they just stopped doing it. And I remember thinking, that's insane. Like, what a great way I could get work. Why don't I just tap into this list of people with consent, obviously, of the lawyers in that group who are doing these things and follow up, you know, basically do business development on people that are already in my funnel. But the firm or that lawyer's perspective was we've already lost them. It's over. There's no points. And I just remember thinking, you know, Dal, I'm sure you've got thoughts on this. That's just not, that doesn't make any sense. You've got them in already. They've attended, you know, five of your last seven webinars. Those are great people to start with. But yet the tendency was just, nope, not going to work. Let's give up. That's really funny. Um, and, <laughs> and this is the kind of stuff that I see on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, this is the very tactical execution that's missing. But it, it, it's, I'm glad you brought up the point of resilience being the main factor here. I think 80% of business development is all about mentality. It's all about psychology. And only 20% of it is actually the tactical or st the strategic execution of these ideas. You really have to feel and understand and believe fully that I haven't lost these clients. They haven't rejected me. This is just an opportunity for me to continue to nurture them. And when the time is right, they will buy from me. They, and, and, and if I just pivot my, my value to them multiple times, we'll eventually find something where we can latch on and you know we can make this puzzle fit. Um, and and you're you're on the money. Like you know, eighty percent of it is psychology. Um, you know, going back to this idea of of resilience, you need to practice some self compassion. And uh, there's an incredible book about self compassion, which I don't think gets enough um, attention. I know there's a lot of stuff about Brene Brown, and we've talked about Brene Brown in the past. But there's this incredible book by a Kristen Neff called Self Compassion: the the proven power of being kind to yourself. You have to be kind to yourself. That is such an important part of it because in this path of you developing this new type of practice, this new type of lifestyle, and you turn and you building out the career and, and the practice in the way that you want to do, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be some failures. There's going to be experimentation. And the experimentation is meant to be playful. It's meant to be nothing catastrophic. And you know, we've talked about the idea of taking on very small experiments that don't you know cause catastrophic changes in your life just doing testing things out uh, but if you don't have the right mindset for it you do feel that it's a rejection and so you need to constantly practice self-compassion you need to constantly practice resilience you need to build up your grit um, another great book by angela duckworth uh, you need to build up your grit to feel that you know this is this this is all great feedback and there's actually uh a stage beyond grit. There's actually a, a stage beyond resilience, and it's called anti-fragility. And it comes from Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He's a giant, a, a heavyweight in, in the world of behavioral finance and, and all of that sort of thing. Uh, he's written The Black Swan, which is a, a brilliant book about understanding risk. But the idea of anti-fragility is that uh, with every event that shocks you, you actually end up becoming stronger. Resilience is well, you know, you stay at, you stay, you stay afloat, but anti-fragility is that you are, you're actually building a better ship every time a wave kind of strikes at you. And that's where I'd like to take my clients. I'm trying to make them anti-fragile. You know, how is the feedback coming to you? How can you use that to pivot into a better place? How do you use that to become stronger? Um, and so the, one of the first things I end up doing with every client is helping them find stupid small habits. Uh, and once again, this is a psychology thing. It's not business development, but it, this is such a key part of it. So here's a really good example. New Year's comes around and everyone wants to lose some weight. They go to the gym and they work out for an hour. 
and they do this for a week, maybe a month. And then a month later, almost no one, none of those people who took on that New Year's resolution are at that gym. We've all seen it. We kind of laugh about it. We joke about it. Well, the same thing happens in business development, right? They learn about these strategies, these tactics. They go out to the seminar in the outside world. And, you know, some pro teaches them that you need to shake people's hands a lot more closely. You need to make, you know, a gazillion LinkedIn posts every single day. Uh, and you, you take it on. And, you know, a week later, a month later, you're fizzled out. And a much better approach, uh, psychologically speaking, in building a habit for, say, working out, is to do something that is so stupid small that you can't fail at doing it. Even if it's 11.59 p.m. at night, uh, you, can execute on, you can execute on it. So, for example, you might just get down and do one push-up. And that thing is so stupid small that you can't fail at doing it. And if you do that, you can tell yourself, okay, I worked out today. And it might seem so inconsequential. But you doing that enough number of times is more than enough to change your psychology, to change your mindset. It makes you believe that I'm someone who works out every day. And one of the first things I try and do with every single one of my clients is, A, obviously focus on this vision and figuring out the right mindset, but then actually making it very practical in figuring out, well, what's the stupid small business development activity you can do every single day that's joyful for you, that you feel good about? And that you can execute without any effort. Even if it's 11.59 p.m. at night, you can send out that one quick email. You can make that one little post. You can do that one little text, you know, whatever it is. And I, and I work with every single client. Every client is different in, in doing that one small, stupid, small thing. And it's so inconsequential, but the effect is so profound. It changes the way things happen. And that's kind of, that's kind of been your approach, right, Aaron? I mean, you started making those LinkedIn posts more than a year ago. And that's really snowballed into something that's quite incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely built that into a habit. And I, and I think for me, actually, the key there was external accountability. Because I think, you know, when you talk about exercise, you know, I'll look at my wife as an example. She is incredibly good at, at you know, um, self-accountability or whatever the right term is. I'm not as good at that at all. So throughout the pandemic, she's been exercising a lot. You know, a lot of people have gained a ton of weight. For her, she's in better shape than she's ever been because she's just able to say, look, I want to do this. And I'm going to follow through. I'm not one of those people. I am, am amazing with external accountability. So when a client needs something done, I get that done. But when it's just me, that's where I struggle. And, you know, as you talked about these small habits, you know, it's completely, completely right. And I try to apply that to all aspects of my life, whether it's personal things, work things, family things, it doesn't matter. And everyone has to find their own way of actually, you know, trying to get that stuff done. It could be a to-do list. I literally have a whiteboard in my room. I'm a pretty, you know, heavy user of technology, but I find for some of this personal stuff, I literally on my desk have a list of these personal things I've committed to trying to do. Uh, you know, whatever works for you. But I think what you're talking about, at the end of the day, it comes down to one of the biggest excuses I think you hear from lawyers and biggest excuses I've made throughout my career in all aspects. And I don't just mean, again, business development. It comes down to everything, which is time and time being the most scarce resource for lawyers. And I, I live that every day. I mean, we're doing this. I'm running 4L Academy. I have a thriving legal practice. I just switched jobs. I got a lot of stuff and time is always gonna be my limiting factor. There's no doubt about that. And I always say, you know, uh, you know, if somebody paid me $5 million to do this thing, I would have found a way to slot it in, right? So clearly there is time, but there's also how you wanna spend that time. And I think it's really easy to make excuses that are valid excuses because you were busy, you were tired, you wanted to 
you know, watch that movie. And those are all fine. Those are all choices. There's no right answer. But I think sometimes we, we find ourselves in a position where you say, okay, it's true. I, I have been busy, but how has it been five weeks since I last exercised, you know, spoke to that person I wanted to speak with, did that business development exercise, whatever it's, you know, whatever it is, you know, did you, could you really not find time in the last five weeks or were you busy and there was a little anxiety or a little stress and you kept really putting it off because, you know, it wasn't really something you were comfortable doing. And I think with lawyers, that's a challenge because I mean, sure, you might end up on this crazy trial that actually consumes you for a week. Or as a corporate lawyer, you know, I know what it's like to be working on one deal or five deals that are all rushing to get closed. And that was literally me last week, right? And so things get pushed off your to-do list. But I think, as you mentioned, Dowell, if you've got these stupid small habits that you can do every day that take one minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, it really doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Uh, you can find time for them. And more importantly, you're going to need a break anyways from what you're doing. So I'm curious, Dowell, I guess, you know, do you hear excuses or, or again, excuses maybe is a word lacking self-compassion, but, but lawyers saying to you, you know, I just, I couldn't find time for this. And you're going, but you said that last week and the week before, you know, like, do you hear a lot of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think what, what lawyers tend to do before they kind of work with me and they get that accountability is that they tend to jump tactics. They, 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 they try out, you know, the flavor of the month, the flavor of the week, that sort of thing. And, and they're like, well, this is, this clearly doesn't work. And I need to find something else. And then they go buy out, they buy a book, they, they, they go out there and read some articles and magazines, you know, whatever it might be. And they try something else and they try it once again for just a week. And then there, something else consumes them and they go away. Uh, and so you're absolutely on the money. I think people are uh, jumping around way too much. They, um, they don't really follow through and time is definitely a limiting factor. And so it is so important to find uh, a, a way of doing business development that's joyful to you. Right. And that's why it's so important to marry it with your bigger vision of what you want your life to look like. Uh, you have to see these activities that you're doing, this business development work you're doing as an enabler of that bigger vision. Otherwise you're going to feel it like it's a chore. And number two, it's about finding just the 20% of inputs, the 20% of things that'll give you outsized returns. And the returns might not happen immediately. They might take three months, six months, a year down the line to actually bring come to fruition. But understanding and knowing that this process works is critical and key, right? Like if you're working out, you might not see results on the first time you work out or even the first week of you working out. Uh, but there are small, subtle things, right? Like you might uh, you might feel a little bit more energized when you, when you wake up in the morning. You end up choosing to not have that muffin or that donut. You end up choosing an apple instead. And these are small, little incremental changes, but it changes your health for the better. And the same thing happens with business development, right? You you might not see the benefit of you sending out that message or that text with these colleagues, these associates that you want to reach out to right then and there. But a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, by the virtue of you staying in touch with that person, um, a, a deal lands on your uh, on your lap. And so these dots are hard to connect looking forward, but they make a lot more sense looking backwards. And you have to trust the system. You need to trust the process. And it's no different than you choosing a workout plan or you choosing a new diet or you choosing a meditation practice on a day-to-day -day basis or, or you choosing really any habit. Business development is a habit. And the habit of it is rooted in good psychology. And so that's 
that's kind of how I help people deal with some of these time limitations. You know, let's find simple things you can do every single day. And the incredible thing is that once you marry it with your vision and you start taking these actions on a day-to-day -day basis, it actually becomes fun. It actually becomes exciting. You look forward to, you know, sending out that message and, and you know, spending more and more time doing business development and managing your time effectively to do this thing that's going to help you achieve your vision. And so that's when our work becomes a lot more intensive, where we find, well, okay, let's optimize for how you conduct yourself at conferences or how you do your follow-up emails, or let's build systems so that you might have to put in a bit of work right now to build up that system. But once you have that system in place, every time you go to a conference, every time you um, launch a webinar and you have all these attendees, there's a sequence of people, uh, or there's a rather a sequence of messages ready to go out to them. Um, that's the real work. And so there's a little bit of work up front, but once you have it done, it's it's good for life. You don't really have to put too much effort into it. It's feeding you people coming your way, uh, but you do need to put in that little bit of upfront effort. But before you even do that, let's change the mindset. Let's change the psychology of you treating business development as a chore. Let's find very small, simple ways of taking action uh, and let's get excited about it. And that, that's how I always sort of um, start out. But I, I want to talk about just one more thing before while we we're on this topic about limiting blocks, right? People think that doing business development is in some ways selfish. Uh, I was talking with a wonderful lawyer just yesterday. She wants to help uh, nonprofits and she has this thing that she really wants to provide them. It's something that they need, but it's not something that they want. And so she finds herself knocking on these people's doors with an offering that is so critically important but they don't necessarily want. And so she's really discouraged. And, and I asked her, why are you doing this? Well, she, you know, she's like, I want to feel good about my work. As if everything else that she's doing is somehow not a good thing. So I think there's this self inner critic that, that uh, uh, prevents you from feeling good about your work and that, feels, that makes you feel bad about your brand. But I really think that a brand isn't about you putting yourself on a pedestal. Rather, your brand is about you uh, being at the center of many different things. And I think a good brand is made up of three things. You being a sharer of knowledge, your connections, and your humanity. And once again, I'll say that it's a good brand is about sharing your knowledge, about sharing your connections, and it's about sharing your humanity. Um, that's not about you putting yourself on a pedestal. That's rather about you being at the center and serving a lot more people. And let's talk about that for just a minute. You know, sharing your knowledge is about sharing everything that you know. You know, this is about the thought leadership piece. And it's not just about creating new pieces of content. It's about being a good curator. You know, there's so much information out there. You don't need to be uh, someone who writes new stuff every single time. You can just be, uh, uh, you can just be someone who's curating information, who's actually synthesizing information. Can you change it from legalese into plain English? Uh, that is tremendously useful. And you might think, well, you know, lawyers aren't going to read uh, plain English. Well, you'd be surprised. Lawyers are also pressed for time. They too like to read, uh, they too like to watch Netflix and they too like to read pulpy fiction books. So can you write it in plain English? There's a tremendous amount of value in synthesizing information and curating information. Can you share your network? So if you can find someone every single day, you know, if your stupid small activity is reaching out to one person and seeing how you can help them every day, can you connect them with someone in your network? And if you can do that enough number of times and you can give enough referrals enough number of times, you become the center, a power player 
within your web of network, within your web of connections. And that is a tremendously powerful place to be at. And the last part of it is sharing your humanity. You know, everything else being the same, uh, if, if a client is choosing you versus someone else, the client is inevitably going to choose someone who's more amiable, who's more personable, who's more likable. And so I always tell my clients, well, share a bit of your humanity. You know, if you're taking a trip, if you're, take, if you're reading a, a fun little book, or if you had a fun little story or anecdote or a personal anecdote that you're willing to share, share that. It's totally okay. Share a part of your life. I think people want to connect to that. You know, a lot of people look at all these YouTube and Instagram influencers and they're flabbergasted. They're like, you know, this guy's an idiot. What, what is he even doing? But here's the thing. People want human connection. They want to see someone, even if they're being completely idiotic. You don't have to be idiotic. You can, you can you know, um, unbutton yourself, untie yourself from, from this knot and share a bit of yourself. And we've talked about the, the value of authenticity, about the value of vulnerability so often on this podcast. But I think too many people overlook that. So share your knowledge, share your network, share your humanity, because it's so powerful in building this brand. And uh, of course, our coaching sessions are all about how to do that. You know, this is all very big picture, and our coaching sessions actually get into that. And the last part of it, uh, and I, you hinted at it, Aaron, is this idea of accountability. Accountability is hard to do. Uh, you can be accountable to yourself sometimes. You need that external pressure, and that's why coaching is so important. And you know, with the thing we're doing right now with the Build Your Book Academy and the Build Your Book Live Academy, we're trying to build accountability into this whole process. We want to bring this accountability to more and more people uh, at a lower and lower price point and a much more affordable price point so more people can have access to great accountability, not just with me as a coach, but with other peers who are just as motivated, who are just as inspired as you are, the listener, in creating this change. So it, it's such an important part of this, this whole thing. Um, I know you've got a lot of things to say, Aaron. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it back to you. Yeah, so much, so much, so many things to say, so much wisdom that you've been imparting as you've been talking there. I mean, I, I think, you know, let's, let's go back to this three elements of a brand piece, you know, knowledge, uh, connections, and humanity. And I think most lawyers, when they're thinking business development, only think about sharing knowledge because that's what they've seen, right? Lawyers are used to writing these articles. And the funny thing with articles is almost nobody reads them. And I can tell you that because I looked at the data. So when I was at my old firm, you know, often I'd be encouraged as a, as a younger lawyer to write an article or to co-write an article with somebody. And maybe I was getting credit for it, maybe not. And so a lot of those articles, there are a couple of big aggregators, I think in Canada, the US, you've got Lexology and you've got Mondak. And you can actually go on there if you have an account, uh, at least linked to your firm, for example, you can see the data. You can see, I could see on my old firm for every article our firm published, how many reads was it getting? how many people were clicking on the links, how many people were looking at the author profiles, you would be amazed or maybe not amazed at how terribly most of these articles do. You look at the ROI, you know, the return on investment from the amount of time spent writing an article, which often takes a while, goes through multiple edits. People, often they're very technical. Someone's wasting their time on footnotes. And then you actually look at reality and you go, hmm, the average article we're publishing was being read by like 20 people. And once you've read, they've, they've read the article, how likely are they actually to reach out to you? And how do you even know who read the article in the first place? And then are you reaching out to them? Are you following up that loop? Or are you just randomly hoping that someone who happened to read your article, who is clearly much more interested in the content than who wrote the article, is going to reach out to you? Or maybe you're thinking, you know, well, I'm just going to publish a lot, and then people will think I'm smart because I can say I wrote all these articles. But 
you know, th that, that might happen, but, but, you know, the odds of someone actually reading that article and reaching out to you are pretty low in part because there aren't a lot of people reach, reading your articles. And then you could say, okay, well, let's look at that article. Is it the content? Is it the title? You know, law firms are writing all these articles, but we all know the title of an email, the title of a book, the title of, uh, of anything makes a huge difference in click-through rate, right? We know this, we're subjected to this all the time in real life on the internet. And yet lawyers are putting no thought into the, you know, clickability or whatever the right word is of a title. So you know, on the one hand, you might be saying, don't write an article. And I think that's probably my approach. But the other is, if you're writing this, you know, think about the reader, the audience. When you're sharing that knowledge, you've already put in all the time writing the article. Run an experiment. Try two separate titles if it's an internal thing. If you're blasting out an email, try two different things. But my real point here is, the way we typically do business development as lawyers is to share knowledge. Uh, and we often share knowledge in pretty inefficient ways. And then when it comes down to humanity, I think we're often so discouraged uh, by other people, they are discouraging us from showing our humanity. And I dealt with this all the time in my old firm. They hated the stuff I was posting on LinkedIn. They still hate it um, because it's real. It's authentic. It makes me seem imperfect and it makes lawyers and law firms seem imperfect. And that is destroying their image of themselves. And it's really hard for them to handle. But guess what? Like it resonates with people for a reason. It's real. I'm being vulnerable on occasion. Like that stuff's important. And the people who aren't doing that and are just publishing, here's a new article, here's a new update, that doesn't go as well. And that's not to say you can't provide good updates on substantive stuff. That stuff is so valuable. But I think you need to mix in the sharing of knowledge with your humanity. And then when it comes to connections, I have found so much success. And by success, I don't mean getting work out of this. I mean personal fulfillment and happiness and seed planting by connecting people with each other. I think I probably make between five and 10 introductions a week. And I think of everything in life as a cost benefit. And making an introduction has no cost. It takes you know two minutes of my time and can have enormous benefits, not necessarily for me, but for the other people. And if I'm helping others, I get joy out of that. That's more than enough as a reason to do it. And it's got some other benefits too. They might connect. They might need your help later. There's the reciprocity element. You know, you've helped them. They're more likely to help you. But just in general, I think like I'm doing this because I care about people and I want to help make people's lives easier. And when you give, you tend to eventually get in return. Or if you need a favor, that person is more likely to do it. So I'm not doing this out of, you know, some malevolent or some bigger picture intention. But if you can have for such a nominal cost, no money in a few minutes of your time, an enormous benefit for somebody else, you'd be a fool not to be doing that. And it's just going to add so much value. I want to go back to one other thing you said before, Dalo, which was talking about um, you know, people giving up a little bit too early. And I'm thinking back to LinkedIn when I started using it more actively you know, about a year and a few months ago. And I had no idea what to write. That was the hardest part when I started using LinkedIn. I had no idea what to write. And that was my bottleneck. And as I started posting and you know getting out of my comfort zone, because it was very much out of my comfort zone, it got easier and easier to a point now where I have no shortage of ideas about things to write about. I've got a laundry list of things that I want to write about that I haven't had time to post about. It gets way easier. It's a muscle. And it gets way more fun. And you know I see ideas everywhere in my day-to-day. -day. You know, everything's now an inspiration for a possible post. And the same applied, you know, when I was doing pitches in the past for, for other lawyers, uh, you know, I did hundreds of pitches. And the first time you do a pitch, not so easy. The hundredth time, 
it's way easier. You've got your own style, your own routine. You know how to listen better. You know how to ask questions better. You know, it's always harder starting out. And I remember as I started to have a lot of success on LinkedIn, I would have a lot of lawyers I worked with asking me, you know, oh, like I want to get involved in this. How do I do it? And I was always happy to talk to them. But almost always they would try and they give up like one, they try once or maybe twice and they give up. And I think they saw it, maybe it was a time commitment, but I think most likely they weren't seeing magical success the first time or the second time. And going back to that resilience, they gave up and they moved on to something else. And I'm so guilty of this in my personal life. I have this belief that I'm working on correcting that I should be good at everything the first time I do it. And that's just an unreasonable belief. With LinkedIn, for example, there's, an, there's a science behind this. There's an algorithm that you have to understand. Um, there's figuring out your brand. There's figuring out what's resonating. And if you expect to be good at it the first time and give up if you're not good at it, you're going to fail at all kinds of business development unless you get really lucky because this stuff takes time. You're planting seeds and you're not going to get results right away. The results come from, you know, over time, you know, that dinner, it doesn't matter what kind of business development going out for dinner, a lunch, drinks, sports games, conferences, emails, LinkedIn, social media, the odds of you having success with your first or second thing are super low. So, but if your mentality is that you're going to be successful right away and therefore you're going to abandon something if it doesn't work right away because it's too much effort to put in, like you're not going to be successful. You shouldn't even bother trying. Like you are actually wasting your time. And so I think, unfortunately, so many people uh, fall into that trap. I'm guilty of it. I think I got lucky with the LinkedIn part in, in some ways because when I started being active with it, there was no alternative in Canada. The world was closed or Canada was closed. You couldn't do any other kinds of business development, but it wasn't just LinkedIn. I was trying all sorts of random stuff, uh, email campaigns, some successful, some not successful, Zoom meetings, uh, you know, digital stuff. So I tried a whole host of different things and some were clearly failures or some, you know, I learned a good lesson. It failed for a specific reason, but I learned something. That's, that's a win, I'm gonna call that. So one campaign we ran, disaster but I learned some good stuff and I'm never going to make the same mistake again. And so if you really shift your mentality to a, I'm just learning what's going to work and not going to work and getting better data so that I can use my time better in the future, then you're never losing. You're always winning. And I think we really have to shift that mindset, Dalo. Yeah. As you're talking about that, uh, <clears throat> another activity that I make uh, a lot of my clients do is um, looking at their past successes. Uh, you know, you, you talked a bit about building up that resilience, building up that anti-fragility, treating everything like an experiment. Um, that certainly is a tremendous part in, it plays a huge part in you feeling good about the things you're trying out and you you feel okay trying it out a bunch of times, uh, getting feedback, improving, iterating. But it's also important to look, focus on your own successes, to focus on your own uh, moments of triumph and glory and all of that stuff. Uh, it astounds me how smart and intelligent every single lawyer that I work with or accountant or, you know, whatever it might be, how incredible they are. They're brilliant people. It's, it's amazing to notice that they discount their brilliance, their intelligence, their hard work, their persistence that brought them to the place where they are. You know, I talk with a lot of very successful partners at big law firms. Right? I talk with um, extremely successful uh, uh, solo practitioners. And they still feel like failures, despite years of doing what it is they're doing. They still feel like frauds. They still feel this imposter syndrome. And 
just, a, you know, changing how they're looking at the world. You know, they, they compare themselves with people who have it all. People who are so far, astronomically far away from where they are. And they're like, well, you know, I haven't really achieved really anything. But when I ask them to start thinking about all of their successes, and sometimes if you can't think of any success, think of your first success. Maybe the day you learned to tie your own shoes, you know, like that was a success. It might seem so stupid and inconsequential, but you as a kid determined that I'm going to learn how to tie my shoes and you did it. And, you know, just, just see how happy you felt. And if you have kids in your life, if you have nieces and nephews in your life, you know how every single triumph, every single success is celebrated. And as adults, somehow we have given up on celebrating our successes. We have given up on focusing on our successes. Uh, we have given up on cheering ourselves on uh, at the first sign of trouble. You know, if you treated a baby the way you treat yourself, the baby would never walk. A baby would never get up and, and do something with their lives. They wouldn't go out to school. Uh, and, and we really have to change this mindset especially with lawyers and accountants, people who are these ultra successful people at big firms or partners, whatnot. Uh, and let's start focusing on successes. Let's celebrate everything good that you've done in your life. And I, I, I think our, our evolutionary programming prevents us from doing that because uh, there is an evolutionary benefit to only focusing on the negative, to focusing on the problems. But we don't live in, in caves anymore where we have to look out for a tiger or a lion about to attack us. We live in the 21st century. The danger is so much more nebulous. In fact, there is really no danger. If you make a LinkedIn post and no one reads it, who cares? No one read it. You can delete it if you really want to, although I don't recommend it. It's good proof to have. It's a good way of building that habit. But the risk is so low. There's almost no risk. So why focus on the negative? Why focus on your failure that no one interacted with your post? Why focus on the failure that no one interacted with that email you sent out? Why focus on any of that? Why not focus on all the successes? You know, think about a time where you went out to a conference and you got, you had such a great time. You built so many great great connections. Uh, focus on that. Focus on the time where you got into law school and how how incredible that felt. Focus on the time where you gave your LSAT and, and the score you got and how good that felt after studying for such a long time. Focus on on the time where you know maybe you got your first client and how good that felt, and use that energy to to do more business development to work your way towards your goal because when you focus on your successes incredible things start happening you start winning again and again just like you did in the past and you are meant to be a winner you are meant to do well you just have to stick with it um and sort of that's what that's what came to me and you know on the point of you writing up this content you know i really think of creating content as um uh, as an episode of a friend of a friend sitcom right like my wife loves friends she she loves that show i think she's watched that show like a gazillion times uh, i watched five episodes i don't know i just can't get into it uh, i'm more of a how i met your mother kind of guy i think that was the show back when we were in undergrad aaron everyone was watching that and if you look at these sitcom shows Every episode is there isn't really much happening, right? It's just people hanging out. They're they're sitting in a cafe, they're sitting in their apartments, and, and it's just mundane stuff. But it's funny and it's interesting. And I think a lot of the stuff that people put out, you know, in terms of trying to be personal, trying to put out thought leadership out there, it can be like that. It could be just like mundane stuff. It's stuff you see happening around you every single day. Everything is is comment worthy. You you can find something to latch onto and make a comment of that. Make an observation about that. So if you're trying to build this writing habit and you're trying to make LinkedIn posts, maybe post in your blog, you don't have to create these 
wonderful long form articles. Maybe just observe something that's happening in your day to day life and comment on that and tie it back to what it is that you do. And you'll find incredible this, 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 uh, you know, huge input of ideas or outflow of ideas coming at you. And you will never run out of ideas on what to write about. So those were two things that came to my mind. Um, I think, I think what's, what's worth talking about here, Aaron, is that, you know, we started working together a year ago. And the, the value from exchanging ideas, the value from exchanging the feedback that you were getting when you were trying out these ideas was so important. Um, and so it, it takes us to this idea of accountability, of community, of having like-minded people around you. And, you know, you and I have, we've been working together away on this from the Build Your Book Academy. Uh, you know, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, I think one of the things, we've been talking about this, but there's no shortage of ideas for how to do things. There's no shortage of lawyers out there who are, you know, marketing themselves as business development guides. I'm a big believer that the right people to do all that sort of stuff are not lawyers. You know, those are people who've been trained in the legal system. It's people like you who are who are actually experts in this, who actually have done this for a living pretty much their entire careers and who live and breathe it and have done it, you know, in multiple different industries, including law. But, you know, when it comes down to it, I think there, there's two things. One, you need practical, modern advice, you know, not this old school kind of stuff, because most people doing business development training for lawyers are in their 50s or 60s. It's a second career because they didn't want to work as many hours or they found they didn't like law. Uh, so they need someone who actually gets it and can teach modern skills. And that's, you know, part of the reason I came to you in the first place and hired you was I had to look outside of law. I didn't want to hire someone who was a former lawyer. I wanted to hire somebody who understood the legal industry and had been working with lawyers, but first and foremost was a business development or let's use the real world sales um, expert. And so that was really helpful. And I think, you know, you taught me so many things that are just not taught by lawyers or law firms or these other people because they don't know them. They don't live and breathe it the way you do. They haven't worked for all these kinds of tech companies and huge companies and all of that. So that's one is, you know, how do we, how do we teach people what they need to know? In a, in a tailored way, in a cost-effective way. It can't just be through all this one-on-one -on -one coaching. That stuff is amazing, but in a lot of cases it's cost prohibitive. And that's a challenge when people are coming out of law school with a lot of debt, or maybe their law firm doesn't want to pay for it. And I think when I talk to a lot of lawyers, they sort of feel rightly so that their firm should pay for this. Because if that lawyer's not going to get any money or not a lot of money for bringing a client, why should they have to pay out of pocket for this kind of training? And so, you know, price point obviously is huge. But the more we talked about it, uh, and I'm thinking back to some of our conversations ages ago, I remember saying, you know, you can teach people all you want. It's sort of like consultants. You know, a lot of the big consulting firms, they charge a lot of money uh, to tell you what to do, and they don't actually handle the implementation at all. You know, whether stuff actually gets implemented is a whole different thing, and the implementation is the hard part. And I think the ideas are easy. You're great at teaching that. Um, but where lawyers really need some hand-holding is on that implementation side, on actually doing it. They need that accountability. They need that guidance. They need someone to really work with their individual mindset to get over some of those fears. And that's not a one-size-fits-all approach. So we can teach all about mindset all day, every day. But the reality is every single one of us comes uh, to the table with different experiences, different backgrounds, how you grew up, how you felt in law school, how you feel about yourself right now as a lawyer, how you feel about your firm, your practice area. All of that is unique. 
And you can get part of the way there through, you know, asynchronous, really, really good content. Um, you can definitely get way farther with coaching one-on-one, -on -one, but how do we sort of navigate that middle gap where we want it to be a, a cost-effective and affordable, but also still really, really good. And so we came up with this idea of these cohorts and we put out a little call to action uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think. And we were astonished uh, by how many people resonated with this. Our original plan, I think, was to take five people in an introductory cohort. And we had, like, I don't even want to say how many people. It was way more than expected. And the hardest part has been narrowing that list down because I just feel bad. There's so many people who are looking to us for help. Uh, I think we'll launch maybe two cohorts just to sort of deal with some time zone differences. But really what it's going to be is small groups of people who are putting through a curriculum over a period of a couple months and really providing that personal advice. You know, it's not asynchronous, it's live once a week. We're running them through activities. We're giving them homework. We're giving them access to asynchronous content. We're also holding them accountable, right? Like, do you really want to show up with a group of your peers, you know, people from different firms, obviously, but, and say, oh, I didn't do it. You know, here's my excuse. We all have good excuses, but at the end of the day, there's almost always time for some of the stuff. So, you know, really we're trying to accomplish a bunch of things, you know, community accountability, but really we want people to implement. We want people to have the lives they want to have and to actually follow through and succeed or at least start planting the right seeds. And I think the biggest reason why so many lawyers aren't succeeding is that option doesn't exist right now. Those cohorts don't exist. And we really believe that, you know, connecting with like-minded people in small groups, doing it in a personalized enough live way. And I'll tell you from, from Foral Academy, which is my training business, you know, we're running live training four nights a week to, to law students right now. And then starting in September to, to articling students in Canada and Canadian lawyers, you know, associates. And there were a lot of times where I kept saying to myself, like, why are we doing this live? Like live teaching is way harder on our end. I got to prep a class every week. I've got to make it interactive. It's so much easier just to record videos and do that. And there's so much value in the recorded videos in that asynchronous learning. And we're doing a blend of that with 4L. There's part asynchronous, there's some homework reading in advance and the live class. And a, a bunch of times I thought, do we just shift away? Do we just run some really good asynchronous content? And we're gonna do some of that. But the more we've taught, the more I've realized, holy crap, there is so much value in the live teaching. It's actually the most important part because people have questions and they like the community and the discussions that come from it. And we can see their reactions and build based off that and tweak based on that. And that's been the amazing part, right? There's a reason why so many people have hated, you know, Zoom school or pandemic education, especially when it's been asynchronous. And so I'm a huge believer. I already was, and now I'm fully sold on it. You know, asynchronous is great. It gets you part of the way there. It is so much better than nothing. And it's an amazing way to deliver some amazing cost-effective content. But if you can add to that, the live component, in small groups, that's the recipe for success because you're going to get what you need in a personalized way. And I'm so excited for us Dalil, to launch our first cohorts. I don't know how you're feeling, but I'm really excited. And you know, it's going to be a learning experience for us as we go. We've got an incredible vision. We know it's going to be great, but we're going to get even more valuable feedback from our first cohort. And that's going to let us make this better and better as we grow and grow. I, I'm, I'm actually really excited about doing this. Um this live portion of build your book. Um, you're right. It, it, you know, even if you look at uh, the classroom nowadays, uh, asynchronous content is there's this idea of the reverse classroom or the flipped classroom where 
you watch the lectures at um, at home about how to do your math problems or your history class, whatever it might be. And then in class, you come and you do the actual work. You do the actual work of you know writing that essay or you do the actual work of solving those problems. Then teacher just goes around and helps you solve that math problem. And that's kind of the approach that we're taking. You know, if, if you are a do-it-yourselfer and all you need is the content, sure, you know, you can just consume the content, take the ideas, run with it, and there'll be an option for people who just want to do that to go ahead and do that. They can access your content. We're always going to grow our library with more and more ideas, with more and more videos, with more and more worksheets, um, scripts, whatever you want to go out there and take it away yourself. But you know, one of the things that we've been talking about this whole episode and something that's come up in every single one of my coaching sessions is the mindset of it, the psychology of it. And what is really powerful in changing your mindset, your psychology, is being surrounded by people who are cheering you on, of being surrounded by people who also have an inspiring vision like you, who are also trying to make it, who are also trying to build that book, build that life, build that, uh, uh, build that business the way that you're trying to do. And so the live portion of it is really important as well. And we're going to give people the choice of choosing how they want to interact with the content. You know, if all they want is first the content and maybe a couple of months later, they're, they're, they realize that, okay, maybe being part of a live cohort would be actually very helpful. They can opt in at that time to be part of a live cohort. Uh, I will say that we're going to be pretty restricted in the number of people that we can bring in in live cohorts. I mean, we have time zone issues. We have issues with um, uh, the number of people we can reliably serve, you know, in a cohort environment, you don't want 50 people in a cohort. You want it to be a small, intimate number of group, uh, number of people within a group so that everyone knows everyone else. They can stay in touch beyond just this live cohort. There's a real sense of community there. Um, and so we want to keep the group small and, you know, the two of us, we have jobs during our daytime. So we need to find a way to fit this within our schedules put it within the schedules of people who applied, who want to be part of the cohort. I mean, you're talking about numbers. We went way, way, way past the five people uh, limit that we had. And, you know, we got people from all the way from Hong Kong, all the way to the other side of the world in Australia and everything else in between. So we got so many people excited and interested in these ideas. We want to make this accessible. So I know we're also talking with people from uh, around the world to, to potentially uh, make them into trainers for something uh, like, you know, leading these cohorts and we're excited about that. But I think initially we want to work with you guys one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, and so whether it be you choosing to just, you know, consume this content asynchronously and doing the homework yourself, that's totally fine. Go out there and do that. But if you want to uh, get that extra help, uh, you can join a live cohort. You can engage with us that way. There are multiple ways of engaging. There is no right entry point. There is no right answer. It really depends on you. Uh, but all we know is what we can talk from our own experience and from our own experience, what we can say is that having that accountability is very valuable as well. So, uh, you can check all of this stuff out at buildyourbook.org slash academy. We're putting up all of our information up there. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm excited for this first cohort. I'm excited for this whole, all these videos that we're making. I think we're making a few dozen videos. I think it's hours and hours and hours of content. Uh, you don't all have to consume it overnight you know you can do it in modules in fact we've broken it down where you know we lay it out for you this is the first part this is the most important part this is week one this is week two we give you homework at the end of each video so that you can take a worksheet and actually run with it yourself uh, so if you just consume the videos by themselves that's unhelpful either 
you know, do the actual worksheets, do the actual activities that you need. Otherwise, you're going to, it's just brain food. You're just going to be taking on brain food. You'll know how to do business development intellectually, but when it comes time for you to actually do the work, you're not going to do it. So uh, our goal is to help you find those stupid small things as well, obviously, uh, so you can follow through on in, in, in doing business development and ultimately building your business, building your life the way you want to do it. I think that's, uh, I remember, Aaron, the two of us talking about this six, eight months ago. Our ulterior motive is not just to teach people how to do business development, but it's to change how people live their lives. We want uh, for lawyers to to have a thriving life. We want them to have a thriving business. We want them to feel good about their work. We want to change the culture of law. We want to change the way law is served within uh, within North America or within the world, really. And that's sort of our ulterior motive for building build your book. Um, we want to change the culture of law. Absolutely. You know, this is all about taking a profession that has refused to change, that is failing to serve clients, is failing to serve younger lawyers, is failing to serve pretty much everybody except for a few really rich people at the top who are making a killing from it. And those are the people who don't want this profession to change because they're making so much money and doing so little a lot of the time. Some of them obviously work in a lot more than others, but this profession isn't really working. We all know that. Um, and it's time, you know, we thought, Let's actually try to make a difference. If we fail, we fail. But I am confident that, I mean, all the conversations I've been having, I know, Dalla, all the conversations you've been having with clients, with potential clients, with just people you talk to every single day, lawyers, accountants, other people just really looking for this help. And, you know, as you alluded to earlier, it's been really interesting to hear, you know, to see the number of partners at law firms, at well-known law firms that applied for a first cohort. That was That was interesting because... I think often people think, you know, well, the partners have this all figured out or, you know, to be a partner, you must have a big book of business. And that's not always the case. And in some ways you might be under even more pressure to increase that book of business. But the point is, you know, these are people, we've got people from all sorts of really well-known firms some smaller firms, different levels from first year associates to summer students to, you know, partners, you know, 10, 15 years, they're looking for help because they're not finding it out there. And I don't think most lawyers who have been successful quite understand what's worked for them. Was it dumb luck? Was it really good family connections? Was it some approach that is just totally not replicable uh, in 2021? Uh, and I don't even mean because of COVID, I just mean like the world has changed. You know, it's like when somebody says, go drop off your resume at the head office, that's how you get a job. Like that's terrible advice. It, it used to work, I guess, 50 years ago, but we all know that doesn't really work. So the point here is really, um, you know, there, we know there's need for this and it really is about making a difference. You know, we did a survey or I did a survey ages ago. And I mean, the number one reasons people wanted more control. It wasn't money. It was control. It was fulfillment. It was all these other things. And with that, sometimes the money can follow and that's always a plus, but money actually wasn't the number one driver. The reality, as we know, is so many people, myself included, were fed up with the existing system and they want to do stuff differently, but often these opportunities aren't available to you uh, unless you have a little bit more control and you get some of that control by having your own clients and building your own book. And that went a long way into me feeling comfortable, you know, leaving my old firm as a partner there because I knew that my clients would follow. And I knew quite frankly, other people's clients would follow. And, you know, it's made such a big difference. I'm so much happier in my new role than I was previously. 
and I get so much joy out of it, uh, out of doing stuff like this because it's making a difference, which to me is my goal is to help other people not feel the way I felt. And I am a huge believer that the legal profession is just failing younger lawyers and most lawyers tremendously, not to mention clients. And I'm a huge believer it does not have to be that way. And I hope that people who join, you know, Build Your Book Academy, whether it's the live cohorts, whether it's who consume our, our, our content online, or whether it's just listening to this podcast, are getting something out of it. And we can really make a difference. That really is the goal. And I can't wait to start our first cohort in the next week or two. Wonderful. If you are interested in this, you can check it out on buildyourbook.org slash academy. And Starting next week, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled episodes. We're um, going to have some incredible set of guests coming up. And uh, yeah, excited to keep this going. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next week. Take care, everybody.